Welcome to another edition of the Weekend Update. I'm your host, Will Walker, and uh, I should give this mic to you, Kraft, because when I give the mic to you, I play better. Welcome to the episode. Good to be here. You know, we might disagree some on the uh, Grizzden podcast, but we we do not get into any physical altercations with our co-hosts. <laughs> it's been quite another week for the Grizzlies. Uh, we were on we were on last last week, and we had just come off the heels of the uh, situation in Denver with John Morant, and we have had quite another week, not only in the news but also on the floor as the Grizzlies. Uh, are off to the last two games with two wins and doing it shorthanded. And we're going to get into the basketball side of this. But first, let's start with some news. So, Kraft, I think the best way to go about this is we're going to kind of summarize everything that has happened from the time that we recorded last Saturday to now. And we can get into each of these topics on a high level. There is plenty of content out there uh, about about this, and we are going to try to do our best to focus on what matters within all of this and how it can relate uh, to not only John Morant, but the Grizzlies and the implications on the floor and off the floor as it relates to, to all the parties involved. And so we'll start off with, um, actually on our last podcast, one of the things we mentioned, because we recorded pretty early that yeah, Saturday was, morning, it was it was it, a quick reaction. It was we were we were ready to go, uh, and later that day, John Morant actually did issue an apology, taking responsibility for his actions and saying he was going to take some time away uh, to focus on managing stress better and um, focusing on his well being. Uh, and then the Grizzlies later that day announced that Ja would be away from the team for at least two days. It was a uh, Sham Sharani. I actually reported it as an, a suspension. The team did not. I think that's notable. Um, a couple days later, the Colorado police began an investigation into the activities that happened at the club in Denver there with John Morant and a few days later on March 9th, they uh, came out with a report that said that they could not find any calls for filing any charges. And then later that day, March 9th, the Grizzlies announced that Ja would be away from the team for at least four more games. And it sounds like from every press conference and every bit of information that we've heard that they're going to continue to use this language of at least and um, we don't exactly know all the information of what's going on with this process, but what we do know is we might need to prepare for an extended absence. So, Kraft, amidst everything that we have heard this week, how would you how would you uh, describe where we are with with the whole Morant situation? Yeah. So, you know, first we were wondering. You know, we were reacting to it, and we were looking at Twitter and knew that something was probably going to come about like like something was going to happen with all this and you know we were actually fearing the sort of cross to the mainstream of nightly news good morning america today show well that definitely happened um as kind of uh you know every sort of um it just kind of took over every site um obviously became a huge deal uh 
And, and with that, um, you know, and I'm somebody who's kind of pushed back and think that it's, it's, it's still bad. It's still concerning, but there, it has been, I feel a little bit overblown in nature compared to a lot of other, uh, athlete scandals, uh, of the past, but it also just shows you how big of a deal John Moran is, uh, you know, how just of a superstar he is. So with that, you know, I think the apology, you know, the two quick questions that came out of the apology was one, is this, is this actually what Jaw thinks or has this been written sort of by his PR team, his agent, his lawyers, things like that. And then secondly, the use sort of, of sort of mental health, uh, language, you know, potentially kind of mental health addiction, uh, type language being used. And so with the first one, you know, we have not heard from Ja yet. I mean, that's the one thing we have not heard. He got rid of all of his, you know, uh, deleted his, his Twitter, his Instagram, all the ways he normally communicates with fans. And, and I'll say that I think I've listened to, um, you know, local media sources. Um, I've listened to, uh, some just random sources. I've listened to, uh, some different player podcasts citing some sources and I will say that everybody does seem to agree that Jaw is very upset and remorseful and somber um about what happened that he's embarrassed these are kind of the phrases we've used and so that's so that for me one thing is there is no sense of he's being handled and uh you know, he is still kind of, you know, maybe he is in the place where he was before all this happened, kind of uh, with the team and other things. But no, it sounds like he is, uh, he's very sad about what happened. That seems to be all the sourcing. Again, until we hear from Jaw, we don't know for sure, but that seems to be. And then with the mental health, you know, we just don't know. Um, it does seem to be, um, you know, I do think that just listening to more things, there does, uh, listening to some podcasts and other things, there does seem to be, you know, concerns um, about alcohol consumption and concerns about uh, just kind of hanging out with with um, with maybe rappers or celebrities or other things that make people nervous. These seem to be the things that I'm hearing over and over and over and over again. Um, and so him stepping away from the team, I think, uh, you know, could be for these reasons, to get away from some people he doesn't need to be around to kind of get a handle on, um, on some, some potential bad habits, addictions that he has. Um, you know, it also could be a suspension that they're not calling a suspension. We don't know. And that, in that sense, we're trying, we're kind of waiting to see what happens. I will say that one thing that was reported on the TNT broadcast was that, that, uh, you know, jaw, while it's not, necessarily a suspension very much uh david silver could come in and say you're suspended but already but like safe for time served in other words if he stays out eight to ten games david silver could come out and say or adam silver adam silver i'm david silver adam silver uh that adam silver thank you uh adam silver could come out and say eight to ten games suspension um and he's already served it um and so that's sort of that's sort of where we are. Um, I'm leaning that direction. I don't know if we want to get into kind of predictions. Uh, I, I feel like uh, you know a lot of people are throwing out 50 games and things like that with Arenas, and but that is not one. The fact the police didn't find uh, any evidence. 
I'm I'm leaning heavy towards that the NBA is not going to find any evidence that Jaw had uh, had a weapon on like NBA property, and and so with that, I I feel like you know Stephen Jackson uh, at a club shot his gun into the air uh, and got a, you know and got fined, got charged with a crime, and he got seven games. So, you know, it's really hard for the NBA to suspend players unless it's on during an NBA, you know, at an NBA arena, on an NBA plane, those sorts of things. Yeah, and the 50 games thing, I remember seeing that pop up on Twitter and was very spooked by it. And then after further research, it was revealed that the 50 games wasn't necessarily a a specific number. It just was at the time with the arenas situation just was however many games were left in that particular season um, relative to when the incident happened with him. So uh, Stein, Mark Stein actually did some reporting on that, that, you know, there is not any 50 game suspension written in the bylaws and an investigation would have to um, absolutely show that there was a gun on the team plane the most interesting or two things that I um, heard this past week that I thought were the most interesting was first the Taylor Jenkins press conference. I believe it might've been before or after the Warriors game where he had described it as something that had been sort of bubbling up for a long time. He didn't use those exact words. I'm definitely paraphrasing, but he used language that made it seem as if, this is not this is not just a one-time incident. It was something that they have been continually trying to manage in the best way for Ja and them. And he it, it sort of just came to a head with, with these things. And um, the other thing was we had a report from Shams about how Steven Adams had spoken up in a players only meeting about how the team was needed to uh, rein it in on the road in terms of going out after games. And it's it from all reporting was a, a team wide meeting, but it was really directed at one person and that was jaw. And so number one, we can talk about the message itself that that conveys number two, the, the funny part of it is the Grizzlies don't have leaks like this all the time. And so my best guess is it was some sort of agent of a player on the team that might have wanted this information uh, to come out and maybe defend a little bit what was um, there were some some yeah. slander being thrown on some major networks to like the whole Grizzlies team calling it a Grizzlies problem. And to me, this might've been um, in conjunction with that basically saying like, no, they're the Grizzlies players, you know, while they are behind jaw, we're doing what they could to, to maybe try to, to rein it in. So I thought that yeah. that was pretty interesting. No, I think that, I think that that shows that, that, um, that there was a disconnect. And I do think that, you know, we've, you know, talking uh, with the other Grizzden guys, I mean, we've talked about that there had felt like there was a weirdness between Jaw and the rest of the players, and uh, and I think we had, you know, I guess naively, but we had just figured it was more basketball-related reasons or some other things going on, and and so it does sound like there was a, a feeling that Jaw was not taking, you know. Prior, prioritizing the team in the way that everybody else thought 
you know, it does feel like, you know, with that, with that report, um, I would say it's, it seems at least publicly and, uh, they've, they've been very supportive of jaw, very behind jaw. It seems like they really want jaw back when he's ready. Um, you know, but it does sound like that, uh, that he had pushed the edges and then that was kind of like a final straw, um, with putting that out on IG live, which of course, yeah. you know, we still don't know. That's one of the big things, you know, since we've recorded, uh, that's interesting because nobody's really talking about it. And I was always like, to me, it's very, I, you know, and I don't know, we'll probably never find out, but I'm intrigued to know whether that was on purpose or accidental, because I still think there's potential potential that he accidentally broadcast that himself at the club thinking he was using his burner account or thinking he was direct messaging it to some people when in fact he put it out over his public account. And not, not that that makes a huge difference, but I think, uh, but you know, that's something that nobody's really talking about that would speak to maybe him being in right mind or him being a little more sort of defiant towards the team. And, and so I'm not really, you know, so we don't, we don't know about that either, but it definitely feels, sounds like, um, He's going to be away from the team until uh, until he does jumps through some sort of hoops, does some things that allow him to come back, and then of course you know then you know with the mental health language we don't know if he's going to be ready to come back. I do think that um, I'm someone, and I, maybe you'll disagree. I, I would be surprised if uh, just the way Adam Silver's been as a commissioner, honestly. Uh, you know, in fact, people frustrated, honestly, teams sometimes are frustrated that Adam Silver, uh, is not sort of stepping in more and letting them kind of, uh, run things. But I do feel like this is going to be a more Grizzlies jaw related suspension. I just see on Twitter and see a lot of Grizzlies fans being like, well, you know, wait till the NBA comes out. And I just, I think it's going to be really hard to prove anything more. Uh, we know for sure that he's going to be out six games. Um, honestly, six six to six, maybe seven, eight games is about what I would expect a suspension from the NBA to be, uh, really. I mean, look, if you go with what the other, other kind of thing, suspensions they've had. And so that makes me just expect that, uh, that, that jaw is going to be back. If the Grizzlies will take, you know, feel like he has done enough to warrant coming back. And honestly, if jaw is ready to come back and, and I feel like that's what we're waiting for. Yeah, one one thing that I find pretty interesting is for kind of the first time since Jaw has been with the Grizzlies, I feel like the team has more leverage right now than he does. Thinking back to when we knew that he was going to be great pretty early on in this podcast, I remember our our constant discussion was I really hope the Grizzlies don't mess this up because we are in a situation right now where players sign extensions, and then within 10 minutes decide that they want to be elsewhere. And we were saying in a market like Memphis, you don't have any leeway in that respect. Like there, if, if, a, if Ja decided tomorrow that he wanted to be traded to New York or some bigger market, like the Grizzlies don't necessarily have, number one, a history of having superstars big enough to have these demands. And number two, they don't have any sort of... Um, ground to stand on, if you will, at that point. And so I remember even early on with like, um, there was some drama about Morant's family not being able to use 
some sort of team playing or going out to All-Star Weekend, something like that, where we were like, Grizzlies, you need to get your ish together and make sure that you give this family everything that they want and need so that Jaw's happy. And now for the first time, I feel like it's flipped. And so I am going to be most interested in how the Grizzlies themselves internally deal with when they decide to bring Jaw back because while this is framed as something that is therapeutic, and I do believe there is an aspect to that that is definitely true, I think it's going to be a team decision ultimately because they have the leverage rather than just a jaw decision. Do I think that that means that jaw could be out uh, potentially the rest of the season and the playoffs? Maybe. What If I had to make a prediction, would I think that he's going to be back by the playoffs? I do. I think part of that also has to do with the Nike stuff with his shoe scheduled to come out in April. That's something that yeah. I haven't heard discussed yet is if they're yeah. going to delay that launch of the shoes yeah, right mean, now. The because... cynic in me says he, that's one of the major reasons why he for sure, b- barring something going on with him where he just can't, I, I expect him to be back just for those sorts of reasons. Right. But is this one time where given Jenkins alluding to the fact that this has been going on for a while. Is this a time when the Grizzlies themselves can maybe uh, draw a line in the sand and and say, this is what our organization stands for, no matter how big one player might get publicly, this is what we value. And so to me, this is, this is almost more interesting from a organization standpoint. Um, the, well, and, and, and like, I, and I think that we're going to get more and more, uh, with with it going mainstream, we are going to get the TMZs of the world and the New York Posts uh, putting out more and more stories, finding more and more anecdotes, uh, because now people, you know, there's going to be people who are willing to talk, um, and, and you're just going to find these little stories. And so I think it's going, you know, there is going to be this sense uh, also where I think it'll be... Uh, <laughs> You know, Ja will want to get back onto the court so people stop talking about this and start marveling at his play again. And and again, you know, I mean, we love. I mean, I don't. I, I love Ja. He's. I love watching him play. I actually think everything I've seen publicly and even the couple times I've been near him at games and stuff uh, is nothing but amazing. Like I think he's been great. I mean, that's what I think is so almost shocking to a lot of people uh, about this because we've been hearing things. Um, you know, and, and we're just starting to see more and more behind the curtains, um, of his kind of private life and it's not been great. Uh, but I also think that's another reason why he might be back sooner than people think too. Two things to close the loop here. Number one, I've talked on this podcast before about the phases to superstars phase one. There's four phases. Phase one is the rise. It's when everybody starts to notice you. It's when you start to uh, something starts to take hold in the public eye and you start to be marketed more. Phase two is when that gets so big that people start to turn against you and you start to run into issues, um, not not necessarily issues, but more uh, blowback from uh, people saying, no, you're actually not all that we said you were, you know, <laughs> a few weeks ago or whatever. And phase two does not end until... Uh, something material changes where most of the time that means winning, winning a championship. You've seen it in the past few seasons uh, in two ways. One with a guy like Giannis 
uh, who yeah. said people can't, you can't he can't win he he wins everybody's worshiping him number two you're seeing it in, with Chris Paul where he's shown this career of being elite he hasn't won the big one and that's always going to be the first line in whatever um, you write yeah. about Paul about his career so phase two to phase three something has to happen something you have to win and then phase four is the legacy conversation and you can skip from two to four that's where Chris Paul is right now but three is considered to be the most important right now Ja is as in the thick of phase two as you can get um he has been built up by the team by the public by uh nike and there's a lot at stake here and every he is about to hit rock bottom if he hasn't already and from here you can only go up and uh america loves a redemption story especially about maybe an american athlete which is a bigger conversation uh And there's a lot invested in him, and I don't think that investment is necessarily going to, to be taken away quite yet. And so, to me, I'm looking ahead. It might not be until next season. It might be beyond that. But there is a redemption story here if Ja plays this the right way. And I think we could look back, and, and this could be maybe one of the better things that could have happened for his career. So um, that's, that's, to yeah. me, where we're, we're sitting right here. Yeah, I mean, I think you look at... Uh, a lot of superstars, Jordan, Tiger Woods, a lot of other people who's, um, who act, who probably, who, you know, Kobe, who had some demons uh, that came out later. And I think in some ways, if it was an accident, him putting that on an IG live, um, I think we very well could be looking at in five years, we'll be talking about how that's the, that was the best thing that ever happened to him. Because it was a wake up call, and that I mean that, and obviously that would be my hope that 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 he this is for him rock bottom. I, I don't want it to go anywhere uh, but up from here for sure. One thing that I was going to wait until later in the podcast to talk about because I, I listed out three reasons to be encouraged amidst a really tough week, and number two or really number one on my list was so John Morant has a contract right now that depends upon him or a, a large chunk of it depends on him making an all-NBA team this season. I don't know about you, John, but I don't think things are trending in the direction of him making no. an, an all-NBA team, which means he is going to lose out on an extra $40 million um, over the course of this contract. And that could actually, in a roundabout way, benefit the Grizzlies as an organization giving them more flexibility uh, in their cap. And so, like, in all of this, it's funny how we can look ahead and see, you know, that, you know, whatever it is, six, seven million next season. Yeah. Having that space could be the difference in a Dylan Brooks extension and having the space there projected, a Desmond Bain extension and having room there. It gives the organization some flexibility. So uh, if you're looking at it... Similar, similar, you know, to the where... We were upset about James' injuries early in his career, but that also um, probably kept him from being closer to a max player. Exactly. You know, so save some money there, too. All right, so, so we had a, a couple more news items to talk about. Unfortunately, one of them we, we talked at length on the last podcast. We, we suspected Brandon Clark had torn his Achilles. It was reported on March 4th that he would be out with a torn Achilles for the remainder of this season, and um, you know, all assumptions are it's going to be most of next season as well because the recovery time for Achilles is between 9 and 12 months, and then you factor in ramping up time, and the Grizzlies haven't exactly been an organization that rushed people back 
from these injuries. And so, unfortunately, that was confirmed. And then the bigger hit was Stephen Adams, or at least for this season, was uh, the Grizzlies announcing Stephen Adams will be reevaluated in four more weeks. He was already playing five on five. He saw a specialist out in L.A. on their trip, and something was revealed in that PCL strain that caused the uh, the team to just say, "Hey, we gotta we gotta wait some more." So he's going to be out another month, which is a big hit for the Grizzlies, especially um, if you if you listen to our last episode and and uh, kind of the mini rant uh, I went on about Stephen Adams' importance. So it was a it was a it was a big blow. Yeah. So to, those are two big. You know, quickly we talked more in the last podcast. If you want to go listen to that, if y'all didn't. Missed that. We talked about kind of Brandon Clark, but, um, but what's sad is, yeah, it's usually, you know, it's one year recovery pretty much, but then most people say it's probably another six to nine months before you're really back at all, like close to what you are. And then secondly, of course, the worry is with his game, you know, needing explosiveness and athleticism so much that what that looks like, you know, we have them. And so, so who knows? But I think that, yeah, I think when we do our podcast this summer, we're going to be talking about basically how to replace him for the year with somebody else or what, how we're going to do that. Um, because, because he makes four, because of his, his extension, like he's probably not going to be tradable for another year or two, um, even if we're just like giving somebody a, a contract with, a, with some picks or something. So, so, so very sad, um, very frustrating. But who knows? Maybe, maybe he will come back and give us some five, six good minutes or something in uh, in a playoff game next year. That would be the hope, but but I don't know. Um, with the Adams injury, you know, I think it was pretty devastating because I think there was a lot of, you know, we keep talking about that Adams, how important he is to the team, um, and just kind of these little ways we just uh, work so much better with him in there. Um, and, and especially looking, you know, we'll get there in a second, but looking at those Lakers and Clippers games and just thinking, man, if we could have, Grabbed a few more offensive rebounds, you know, we probably win those two games. So that's a, that, those are the, you know, the frustrations with that. I think a couple like silver linings, since you just did a silver lining uh, on the jaw situation, you know, a couple silver linings. One is there's pictures of, of, uh, of Steven uh, lifting Roddy up in the air and stuff last night uh, and uh, doing some other things, which just makes me feel like, you know, uh, he, there's something there, you know, like he's not like limping around. He just, you know, I think they're being extra, you know, extra cautious. The fact that the four week timeline, you know, obviously that is a timeline I am hoping because that happens to be, uh, the four weeks happens to be the end of the regular season. And I, I'm hoping that it's less of a, um, but we're just going to reevaluate in four weeks. And it's more of a, basically, we're just we're not going to think of having him in the regular season. We're we're trying to get him healthy for the playoffs, mm-hmm. and that's sort of my hope that this is the optimism. Um, you know, it could be uh, like in my mind, I've kind of thought maybe we could get him back for a second round series. I feel like uh, unless unless really there's just he's just he's just done. But it fe- it makes me feel like they would have said he's just done if they really felt like he was done, and so that's my hope anyway that that it's four weeks and that um, you know that that hopefully maybe he can be ready to go in like a second round playoff series or something like that. All right, before we get to the games, we're gonna pause to take 
uh, a minute for the message from our sponsor, DraftKings. Ready for the underdogs, the upsets, and the unbelievable action from DraftKings Sportsbook. The biggest tournament in college basketball is here. Right now, new customers can bet just $5 on college hoops and get $200 in bonus bets instantly. Plus, for a limited time, all customers can score a no-sweat bet during round one and two of the tournament. Go to the app, opt-in, and place a no-sweat bet this weekend. If it doesn't hit, you'll get a bonus bet back up to $10. I love March Madness, one of my favorite times of the year. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and sign up with code TBPN. New customers can bet $5 and get $200 in bonus bets instantly, win or lose. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code TBPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Yeah, and it's actually, and I'll, I'll throw in that it's, uh, you know, a pointer for your brackets. It's always good to look at the Vegas lines because you'll be surprised how many lower seeds are actually favored over higher seeds and things like that too. So it's even just good to to look at look at what they who the favorites and stuff are as you're filling your brackets out this week. Check out DraftKings. Sign up if you haven't already so that you can even see those odds. Use code TBPN when you sign up there. Okay. Let's talk about some games and uh, some observations from those games. So I was actually in the building for. Yeah, I want to hear. I want to hear what what was uh, what what is crypto slash staples uh, like. Yeah, so it's really interesting downtown LA. Uh, everybody talks about the traffic, and all of the talk is warranted. I mean, you cannot go two miles without it taking at least 25 to 30 minutes. And so the rumors are true there. If you've never been out to L.A., we uh, did have a car that we rented, so we were driving everywhere. We weren't Ubering or anything. We got to experience it firsthand. Crypto.com is is right in the thick of downtown. It's across from the big ESPN studio offices, uh, right across from the Microsoft Theater, where I believe the Oscars are being held tonight which interestingly enough they also have a lakers game there so a lot going on um in the game that we went to they had actually had a lakers game earlier that afternoon and then the next night we went to the la kings hockey game and so there's just always something going on in crypto.com as far as an arena goes um the they have a bunch of those lakers statues out front which are really cool um some L.A. King statues, not a lot of Clippers uh, statues out in front. And uh, the fan base, I mean, it was relatively full. And I think part of it was this expectation that John Morant would would be there. Um, We, in our section, were talking to a lot of people because we were obviously wearing Grizzlies gear, and that was the topic um, as you would imagine, because it was, I mean, fresh off of the video being released. And so it was a mixture of like, man, we're sorry for you guys. Like, that's crazy. And then also, as soon as the game started, you know, it was kind of fun being at an away game and being told to sit down multiple times, especially during that run in the third quarter. Um, when we scored 51 points, that was a lot of fun to hear the silence of the crowd. We were sitting too across from Steve Ballmer. We could see his emotions running up and down as the game went on from like just the arena standpoint. One thing that I thought was really interesting is it is a constant show. There is no downtime whatsoever, whether it's like they had about probably double the, the performances, um, just at, 
you know, on, on, on the court during a random timeout uh, that I've seen before at FedEx Forum. They've, um, in, in the game, like in the arena, one of the things that I thought was interesting is they had an MC who was, had to be some sort of like comedian because they were just panning to random people in the crowd and they were just letting him go. Like he was just like commenting on what they were wearing, what they were doing, um, telling, you know, like there was a girl with nachos that had run out of chips and he was like pressuring the dad to go get her more bags. Of, it was just funny. Like that, it yeah. was cool the way that they sort of previewed everything and it was nice to get like a fresh perspective on what in arena entertainment can be. I will say as like a, basketball fan primarily rather than like a fan of the overall experience. I thought it, it was sometimes distracting uh, from the basketball. Like to me, I would think that there's a lot more like casual fans who attend those games than the ones that attend like Grizzlies games. Like I would like to think there's, there's more uh, pure basketball watching intentions in a city like Memphis than, than one where they're kind of known for their showbiz. But uh, Mm -hmm. overall it was positive. I mean, it was, it was, I could tell that, um, like, the game itself was like, we have Kawhi Leonard and you don't. And that's what it felt like. Like, his presence really is something to behold because he is not a um, a culture guy, if you will. He is just, right. like, himself, like a stone-cold killer. And you could tell in the fourth quarter, like, something changed where he was like, okay, it's my – and Paul George had, like, 40 points. But you could right. tell, like, this was Kawhi Leonard's – team um and last thing i'll say too in the arena i was of course taking a look at the layout itself just because i know that fedex forum is about to undergo a bunch of these renovations they had this really uh really large lower bowl that i mean the seats went pretty far back we were row like 20 on the lower bowl but i still felt like we were almost like horizontally in line with the court. Like that's how far back it goes. And then they have actually three rows of boxes in the middle. And then this like very small section in the, in the top bowl. And uh, you know, LA is big enough where you don't, you, they don't worry about selling those suites, but I just thought it was right. an alternative look at a kind of how a, a much bigger market, um, yeah. you know, has their arena set up. So it was overall, I mean, Talking, not you know, even getting into the basketball yet. Like it was a really cool experience and a fresh experience. So that's cool. Yeah, it sounds. I mean, I know, uh, you know, I know Grizzlies have won awards and stuff for their in arena entertainment, and um, and so they do a lot too. And I think I have a lot of friends, especially if they're used to like college basketball and and college sports. They're like, y'all have a lot of entertainment, and so it's interesting for you to hear that uh, <laughs> the LA one had like double. Um, no, so it sounds yeah. like, you know, I mean, obviously the, our, our Homer bias, but it does sound like, uh, what I feel as a season ticket holder, which is, I think the Grizzlies do a good job of kind of, of 50, 50 of kind of giving you the arena entertainment, but like, but still respecting the ball and like, and do a good job of knowing, uh, at certain points of a game when to like a funny skit's just not going to do it. So don't, you know, um, because yeah, like for sure. games tense and they, they do a much better job, but there's, there's a little bit of a balance there in our market compared to the, especially the Clippers, you know, I'd expect the Lakers probably doesn't have quite that much entertainment, but yeah, I mean, there's, and also with the Grizzlies, there's a level of predictability. If you've been to multiple games where you kind of know, they know the recurring bits that work and they've, yeah. they've stuck to those. And I think that in, in a way, 
that's a little bit more charming than just kind of like churning through so much that you feel like it's almost sensory overload at times. I will say from like a um, logistics point of view, I mean, we, we need to count our blessings with, with the FedEx Forum. And yes, the parking garage isn't like amazing and it, it takes a few minutes to get out. But um, man, just getting in and around downtown LA can be a nightmare. And, and so I'm, I'm, I think it would be like, I would be, I would need to plan ahead to, to go downtown to a game rather than if, you know, I have a friend who texts me 30 minutes before a Grizzlies game. I feel like I could actually reasonably make it there. Um, if I'm willing to park, you know, in, in a certain place. So, yeah, um, no, I mean, I I know know, uh, Matt Hurdlicka like a week ago talked about how he feels like Memphis. There's like a couple, like throughout Sacramento, but like Memphis being a perfect size city where, it's big enough to have like a professional NBA team, but but things like traffic and and cost of living and stuff. So I think I, I think I, I hear that counting our blessings for sure. Yeah, um, and getting into the actual game, yeah. you know, Paul George really did. I mean, he he to me is turned into like the quietest superstar that we have in the game, and getting to witness just the way in which he scores at ease was interesting and I know that you know notably we did not have Dylan Brooks to to put on either Paul George or Kawhi Leonard and that is important um to to note but overall just like the different ways that he can score at all three levels and um he just has a very smooth smooth part of of the game that's it's you just look up and realize he has 35 you know like in the third or something. And, um, and quiet, like I said, kind of quiet in the first half. And then all of a sudden in the fourth quarter, he just, he just takes over the game. Um, it was so funny to see the Clippers fans have to oscillate between cheering for Russell Westbrook and just moaning every time he did something terrible. And I mean, we were having a blast yelling the Tony Allen, he would us, you know, every time that Westbrook would do something like he really did in the first half, at least have like three turnovers that were were really important to the Grizzlies staying in the game. And so it was so fun to cheer against Russell Westbrook because it did feel like we had a sixth player on the floor for us. Well, I was, I was yelling anytime we closed out on him, leaving another player open for a shot or for a drive, I was getting so angry. Yes. And to the point to where the people I were watching with it were starting to make fun of me. And then my favorite was like, I screamed, let him shoot. I think it was like a wing three that he airballed like five feet. Yes. But nobody made fun of me after that because I was getting so angry in the first half that we were like actually guarding him. You know, we weren't giving him the Draymond Green treatment. If you saw those clips of Draymond Green, all the you know, basically twelve feet off of him, uh, daring him to shoot. Uh, so, but yeah. no, I mean, no, you know, it's it's interesting to me. I mean, I'm 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 on record of calling this Clippers team a fraud. I I don't think that Paul George and Kawhi are frauds. In fact, you know, I've, I've Kawhi's been secretly having an excellent year when he plays. Um, and so there is still that notion. I just wonder, I mean, and I think this game is a good sign of it with us scoring 51 points in the third quarter, then only 17, just the way, uh, the way the Clippers play and, and maybe they'll change it up for the playoffs, but they, they play a really, an interesting style that does that, that basically because of how they play on offense with their, a lot of jump shots, not much rim going to the rim, but then also in the similarly, 
how they play defense, it, it these huge swings. And if you, you know, the Clippers and the Kings are the two sort of league pass late late night teams. And it's amazing. The Clippers are the biggest. If they're up by 20 or down by 20, I don't give up on that game at all. Because they Agreed. just, you know, and it is, and, and I just, I just don't know if you can win a seven game series with that kind of, style, you know, uh, basically, you know, maybe Kawhi and Paul will, will be good enough uh, for four of the seven games, but that still is where I kind of doubt them. Um, you know, and it was frustrating. I mean, it was super frustrating because, you know, after me calling them frauds um, and and uh, us scoring 51 the third, feeling very, very good about myself. And then, of course, we uh, continued our kind of fourth quarter struggles, uh, which which maybe we've gotten away from, but uh, – you know, with set with seventeen point fourth quarter, but even then, like I went back and watched a little bit of it. It just we missed so many shots we normally hit. Uh, it was a we. It was almost like the the John Morant, the crazy the crazy week that was like hit us in the fourth or something. We just finally ran out of adrenaline. I don't know. I mean, I don't know if you felt that way. It just it was so weird to see us score fifty one in the third and then not be able to hit anything in the fourth, because I don't think it was like, I mean, I'm going to say we were running like the crispest offense, but we had Tillman had a lot and Tillman and Tyus had a lot of paint shots. We were just were missing a lot of shots we normally make. I yeah, felt like I know it, it definitely had that feeling. And I mean, Bain three for nine in the fourth yeah, Bain, quarter Bain was biggest culprit in that too. Yeah. And, but I will say the, the, I, I thought that, we had done enough in that third quarter, but really what stuck out and I think was was besides that that third quarter was the story of the game is just the rebounding differential. Yeah. And you alluded to it at the top, but I mean they had fifty three rebounds to our thirty or excuse me, twenty six. I mean all, basically doubled. And when I'm does pretty, that that never happens to us? No, no, no. It it was actually the highest rebound differential in franchise history. And yet, you know, we only lost by uh six points and it took you know, uh, Kawhi really, I mean, hitting just about every shot that he took in the fourth yeah. quarter. So, I yeah, mean, we overall, never lose when we score 129 points. Right, exactly. We never lose. Yeah, and, and we didn't, I didn't feel like we ever had issues running our offense until it was kind of that late game situation. And, of course, it was highlighted by the, the, the we had a chance to, uh, to hit a shot, and we had that turnover just at the end with with Jared holding it. It, it was really uh, reminiscent of that. I, I, was it the Lakers or the Suns game yeah. when we had the turnover late, where yeah. Bain was holding it and someone snuck up behind them? Yeah, uh, but yeah, yeah, it was it was a brutal loss, just given how shorthanded we were combined with how well we were shooting in that third quarter. It was fun to see the Clippers fans react to every time Luke Kennard came in the game and, and shot because you could tell like the trade that they made uh, to, to get like Russell Westbrook and Eric Gordon in exchange for um, Luke Kennard, you know, you could tell there were some fans in the arena who, who really missed him and were telling us, you know, you, we got somebody good there and we wish that he had yeah. played more when he was here. So, yeah. Which is always good to hear. It definitely, but Zubats, I mean, he played pretty well against Jaron. Like, yeah. I really do not like that matchup. I would want Steven Adams, if we did see them in a playoff series, that is one where you do want Steven Adams to to neutralize uh, Zubats and his impact. So, um, Should we move on to the Lakers? Do you have anything yeah. else on the Clippers? No, I think that's, I think that's it. For me. Well, um, this one was, 
uh, more disappointing in my head. And and the other thing I think is worth mentioning is, you know, we have been on a run here of national TV games, and it was just right at the wrong time, uh, especially yeah. going into the Warriors game, which we'll get to in a second, which maybe turned some things around. But to me, this was kind of at the lowest point where you have, you know, a big national TV game where Pau Gasol is getting his jersey retired. You have the shorthanded Grizzlies coming to town and actually play pretty well uh, in that first half, but you have yet another kind of story of the fourth quarter. Like, what did you see in this game that you took away? Yeah, I mean, that this was a, this was this was reminiscent of the earlier national TV games that I think was getting Grizzlies fans really frustrated where Jaron was having some foul issues. Although, you know, in the first half he was fine, but then Jaron got into some foul trouble, missing a lot of wide open shots, like a lot of wide open shots, um, and not getting, you know, getting out rebounded, um, especially when Anthony Davis was in the game. And, and I think that, you know, and unfortunately that was a more, uh, it was, it was, we left, you know, for as, as hot as we were against the Clippers from three point line, um, you know, we regressed to the mean and I think actually even over regressed against the Lakers too. Uh, and so that kind of felt like the way we've looked on the road, even with jaw, um, when this whole slide started, um, you know, minus Adams. And so that was kind of more the same. And I think the biggest thing was, you know, for me, it's hard with the fourth quarter clutch things because I just like we're going to have to learn how to, you know, which which the Mavs game was exciting in that, but we, we're going to have to learn how to win without Jaw. Jaw, it's just hard to think we already have having some struggles in winning fourth quarter games uh, there in the clutch, close, you know, within five five minutes or less, and uh, you know, without Jaw and that being really, um, you know, a second night in a row, and you could feel all the creep, all the doubt from the fourth quarter in the Clippers game creeping in as well. Um, you know, I just, it was one of those where we, when we were down 80 to 80 going into the fourth, you know, and I think, I think you talked about, we're gonna have to hit some shots. I felt like that, that was kind of, you know, to me, could we, and I got excited cause we hit our first couple <laughs> the fourth. Um, but after that, it just, you know, packed, they packed it in, forced us to shoot, um, you know, made guys that aren't used to making plays, make plays. And, and we just really didn't. Um, and then same time, J- Jaron picked up. Um, four and five, they're pretty quick, and so then had to play kind of tentatively um, when when he wasn't on the bench, and so all those things were hard. And and, and Anthony Davis had an Anthony Davis game too. Yeah, I mean overall, Jaron to me was like the MVP of the game, just how he was playing aggressively in that first half. But re- really down in the fourth quarter, like you really felt the over three from three from Dylan, and yeah. it wasn't as if any of the shots could be characterized as bad. If anything, they were spot up uh, or through the offense where it was kind of a swing-swing situation, and re- he really needed to hit at least one of those three to keep us in, and and that's where you want you know somebody different there in that spot and wishing that, um, for instance, you wishing that Luke Kennard was good enough defensively to be able to rely on him to maybe stay out on the floor and be that guy in the corner. Uh, Notably, another Zaire Williams DNP. He only had five and a half minutes in the Clippers game. Like Jenkins actually played an eight-man rotation if you don't count Zaire Williams five minutes. And we saw it again here where, you know, it was just a... he's That's, to me, another story of of the last week is him... Jenkins starting to consolidate this rotation where you're seeing Santi Aldama with the most minutes off the bench when Ty starts without a 
Brandon Clark in the lineup, of course, to be expected. But then you have these Conchar minutes that are really, I mean, if you look at it, Conchar, again, analytics king, plus nine. He was by far the highest in the plus-minus column and played pretty well um, just doing all the little things in that game. Where And against the Lakers, you know, again, another, another example of, they have Anthony Davis and we don't. And while Jaron Jackson Jr. is getting yeah. to a point where he can compete with a guy like AD, ultimately, um, AD is just too good. And in the clutch, you need a guy on the floor who you can rely on to be to say, "This is we have the best player right now, and he's going to do what he wants. And so I just thought it was kind of another example of that, and we didn't hit enough shots. And that was the, kind of the story of the game. Because it's not as if they, I mean, they scored 112 points. And we can be from the night before we show or a couple game nights before we show that we can beat a team if they only score 112. The problem is we scored 103. And yeah. so that was that was the story yeah. of the game. No, I think and, and I think it is a story uh, and, and we'll get there. <laughs> I mean, these four games, it was bad Dylan and good Dylan. Bad Dylan. These first two games um, one because of his technicals, he didn't even play against the Clippers when we like probably the like besides the Mavs when they have their guys healthy probably the number one opponent we need Dylan for um is the Clippers with their two wings and then um you know and then obviously had a really 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 rough game uh in the Lakers game you know I don't think he necessarily played even really very good defense felt like he was out of it but then the biggest thing is is he had three wide I mean he had wide open shots that he just bricked like I mean he he, he was looking like Russell Westbrook um in that Lakers game and uh and so it was really rough um fortunately the rest of the week happened and we'll talk about that in a second but then the other thing and I think you're right I mean that was when I when I was doing some general thoughts from the week the one of the big disappointments is just um Zaire is just you know, um, just sophomore slump, I think is like almost a euphemism at this point. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's just so bad. Um, you know, when we talk about the Warriors game, I mean, that was the only time the Warriors looked good was when we had Zaire in the game. And, uh, and I, you know, I, I feel like he's probably only going to play garbage minutes the rest of the, the rest of the time, barring even more (laughs) terrible injuries, uh, and I just think that's a real disappointment and, and, uh, you know, and so I, I think there is, um, when we look at big picture stuff, I mean, it's interesting that it feels like our, our front office, uh, sometimes is, str- is getting the, like the experienced college player picks better. And then, and there's a little more worry about the, the upside swings that we're taking. But again, you know, there's a lot of guys who've had promising rookie years and then just been really bad their sophomore years. And there's all sorts of injuries and other things, but just, um, I mean, you would just think in this moment when we need somebody, we need some athleticism, honestly, and some length, uh, we would love to be able to put Zaire out there on the floor and we just cannot. And, you know, and, and people, you know, that's in the ultimate, you know, like, he has way more tools than Conchar does, but you put Conchar out there and we win. Like, and, and I think people still don't even understand that, that like he's, Conchar's a winning player. Uh, we win, you know, but uh, Zaire is just not at this point. So, And I think it's also interesting how we've seen this transfer to the G League, DNPs. I mean, if he does play, it's never for more than 10 minutes in a game. All after the trade deadline, and that makes me think that maybe they were trying to keep him in the rotation and maybe keep his value 
as high despite his poor play as it could be just to show teams, you know, hey, we still got this guy really young, really young, really raw, but we're we're developing. He's playing minutes on a, the second best team in the West. And after the trade deadline, you're, you're kind of seeing, OK, here's maybe what they really wanted to do and, and take a step back with him and develop him. And so uh, how they how they move forward with Zaire is going to be yeah. very instructive. And I am not feeling great about him right now, just because I also think he is young enough to be um, like these things. He's learning mental fortitude just as much as he's learning how quick the NBA game is and how you have to perform. Like he's been the best player on his teams probably his whole life. And now he's realizing do I have what it takes to be in a rotation on a really good team? And we're going to get their evaluation here this summer and, yep. and see what happens. Cause he's, I mean, obviously still really young, still under contract for a while, but you have some young guys that are starting to show that they might need to be ahead of him in the pecking order. Yep. Um, yep. Okay. So quick story about this Warriors game. We were um, on a flight on Thursday night and it was, a connecting flight to Dallas. There was some weather. We got delayed. And so I got to watch the first half, basically, and then we got on the plane. Internet wasn't really working. We kept getting delayed while we're sitting on the plane to Memphis. Ultimately, after an hour and a half, it gets canceled. The line to rebook was about two and a half hours long that we waited and ended up spending the night in the airport in Dallas. Got booked on a flight to Little Rock the next morning. And... um Ended up driving home from Memphis a day later than we initially planned. And the biggest downside in all that was I wasn't able to see the Warriors game live uh, because it's it looked, from the replay, like the forum was absolutely rocking. I mean, there's no... To me, right now, speaking objectively, this is the most fun rivalry there is in the NBA. And it, you know... The Warriors can say all they want about this isn't a rivalry because, you know, one team has won a bunch and the other team hasn't. Like, we obviously have a lot of real estate that we occupy in the Golden State Warriors' heads. And look no further than the Draymond Green-Dylan Brooks feud that um, obviously started, I mean, it started back the last couple of years of playing in the actual games. You had the Dylan intentional foul, in the playoffs, you had the article that came out that we discussed briefly on the last podcast where Dylan had some some big quotes that were uh, directed to Draymond specifically. Draymond Green absolutely, I mean, eviscerates Dylan Brooks on his podcast. Anyone else would crumble if that happened to them. But Dylan Brooks is just crazy enough to where he lets that fuel him, and we got an all-time Dylan Brooks performance against the Golden State Warriors, against Draymond, more quotes coming out after the game, and this has just been, honestly, like, I hate the talk, and this has been a joy to see, because we're at a point now in the season, my take is, with John Moran out, with Steven Adams out, you are looking at a team that has been broken down, and they are going to be underdogs the rest of the way, and that is where these guys absolutely thrive 
when expectations are totally against them, and you have a team like the Warriors who are com- on the complete opposite end of the spectrum. And so what did you think overall watching live about the game against the Warriors? Yeah, so, uh, I mean, I have someone who thought uh, that I just – I felt like going in that I was, you know, and so it's on writing elsewhere if people don't want to believe me, but uh, that, that it was going to be a game five like atmosphere that I felt like after the, after the craziness of that weekend of the road trip that I felt like the coming back to FedEx forum that, that, that our fandom, it, it was almost going to, we were not going to let them lose, um, type of situation, sort of like game five last year when Jaw was out. You called it for um, the record. Kraft said that we were going to beat the Warriors by 20. You were wrong, Kraft. We beat them by 21, but 21, still yes. excellent prediction. <laughs> but uh, not, not so positive about the next one, but the, uh, and we'll get there. But uh, so I think, you know, for me it was, we got to get off to a good start. Um, kind of, it was one of those where you want to you want to get the first sort of punch. You want to make them call the first time out, and that you know that definitely happens. Um, it was actually nice to see that the fifty one points uh, third quarter against LA was not just crazy because we scored we had a forty eight point quarter uh, against the Warriors in, in that first quarter. Um, I think Kerr playing four guards helped, um, but it was good because I feel like uh, where Jaron's getting used to more and more. Uh, people throwing weird, uh, weird defensive matchups at him, and so it was good to see that we were switching and we were attacking the mismatch. Even Tillman was, you know, when he found out he was had a guard on him, was being very aggressive. Um, felt that was good. I mean, you know, again, a typical like one of the reasons why I've stayed, even even in. I mean, I'm, you know, obviously we'll get to predictions and things, but why I still stay positive on this team even this year in the postseason of being able to have some sort of run is I think we play great at home. And I think that our role players in particular play great at home. And, uh, and that's, we're going to have home court advantage uh, for at least a round. And, and so hopefully two, but at least, at least one. And, and so, and so I felt like that was kind of showing that, that like the Warriors have really struggled um, you know, I feel like in the last three years, it seems like they've only beaten us like once um, in game one of the playoffs at home. Like we really play well against them at home. And um, and they're a team that's struggling. You know, uh, another thing, just we, we think we're going through it. But like the Warriors, uh, they don't even know if Wiggins is coming back this season. Uh, you know, they've had guys in and out the lineup. Draymond went to the locker room yesterday, came back. Um, obviously Steph's been out. I mean, they've been going through it too. They really struggle on the road. I mean, they're probably one of the, they're going to probably be the worst road record team to like make the playoffs in 30 or 40 years. Um, so very weird road team. Um, but it was fun. And, you know, I think, uh, you know, one of the things that I especially appreciate is twice Warriors kind of made their quote avalanche run that they do. And we were able to call timeout, get a good lineup back in, and and withstand it and increase the lead back and that happened twice it happened in the second quarter and it happened again in the third and and that was really cool to see us be able to kind of withstand their pressure um although the sad part going back to the fact that uh you know Zaire being part of those lineups that got that got crushed um uh, is really sad but that was you know but that was exciting to see and I felt like that was um 
you know, there was a moment where it was like, if we, when they were coming back in the third, if we actually blow this game, I like, then you're going to even have me, Mr. Positivity, uh, starting to declare this like Grizzlies 2016 and, uh, and start to get real, real negative. But, um, but I, but I, you know, what I thought was happened, we, we regained the lead and, um, even exciting and most exciting for me, we won garbage time for the first time in forever. Um, we got a loft, we got a junior three from the top of the key, but I think that was the first time we've ever won garbage time. Uh, you know, as I always complain about our cleaning the glass stats, but so anyway, uh, but that, but it was fun. I mean, it was typical. Uh, I don't want to hear that there's not a rivalry. It's for sure a rivalry. I watch a lot of Warriors games because I think, you know, I just want to take advantage. Curry's great. I enjoy watching him play, enjoy their style and offense, um, even if I kind of hate them too. Uh, but uh, there, it is that was a playoff game for them. They play us like they play playoff games. It's totally different. Um, like even if you watched last night, a huge ABC national TV game, they play the Bucks, and I feel like they turned it on a couple times, but it was nowhere near the intensity that they get, they bring to our games. So super fun, great win, especially coming off of the rough road trip. And, um, and I'm hopefully we're going to keep carrying this, uh, this momentum with us, despite, uh, despite the Mavs game being a little bit of a slog. I, uh, I'm, I'm hoping that we're going to kind of get back get some momentum going here, but it was just fun. It's always fun to beat the Warriors. Um, excited. I'm actually going to get to go to this next game, um, coming up. So, but, uh, but love being the Warriors and, uh, and love Dylan kind of getting a little bit of swagger back that I felt like, honestly, he'd lost going all the way back to Christmas. That's a great segue because I was just about to say, I mean, the biggest thing for me, but apart from the fourth quarter, which was just like absolutely exercising demons there, we were scoring, it was 32 to 17 margin, finally in favor of the Grizzlies. Uh, for, yes. It seems like one of the only times this season that that's happened. But uh, Dylan just absolutely stepping in and becoming the voice of the Grizzlies in a way and there are some out there who are saying, you know, this is this is galaxy brain by Dylan to take all the attention off of Ja and just absolutely yeah. and put it directly on himself. And I mean, maybe Dylan is just responding to um, to Draymond and then kind of continuing on in this response in a way. Uh, but it is uncanny timing that this is what's happening. And I do think if he is intention like if he's being intentional about going you know the way that he's all of his quotes which I'm about to read a few of them which are hilarious I mean it's it's kind of been successful I mean you still have yeah. stuff coming out about job ja, but overall if you think about the Grizzlies and you put jaw aside like what's the biggest story in the public eye and it's Dylan right now and just yeah. how he even he got you know the old takesman Kendrick Perkins on his side right now, which I don't know if you want that necessarily. I don't know if you want that either. Perkins' he's uh, been, history. Some, some rough takes. He's uh, had some rough ones. <laughs> but, hey, you know, he's big enough to where he says it, and, and it yeah, might get you know, talked about. Along that, you know, it's funny. I have a couple friends who like don't care about basketball at all, don't care about the NBA, or only football guys. And they're, they're always like their comment is going all the way back to Christmas. They were like, "Why are the Grizzlies always uh, on like the front new front page of ESPN.com and on all these sports?" Like I keep going to look at like draft stuff and football stuff, and I'm just 
always confronted with Grizzlies uh, news. And I was laughing. I was like, yeah, like Will and I are tired of the news portion being so long. We've had it for like six weeks. And I was laughing because finally they were like, you know, it's got to hit with John. Ja. I was like, yeah, I was like, don't, you know, stop complaining to me, you know, post, you know, other than jaw, this isn't going to be happening. And then literally the next day, the Draymond Dylan stuff came out once again, leading ESPN.com. So and Dylan definitely has taken that mantle. Yeah. I mean, here's a few of his quotes, which are just delightful. I mean, speaking about Draymond Green, the fact that he was trying to pin my teammates against me, that was a low blow, but that's the type of player he is. My teammates are my guys. We do it all together. I'm not out there getting into, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm not out there getting in physical altercations with my teammates. I try to talk to them, not break them down, but build them up. He says, we all got the same type of mindset. There's no cancers or poisonous guys. The worst guy we've got, you're talking to him right now. I love that. And then on the uh, the referees not calling technical fouls in that just beautiful moment between Dylan Brooks and Draymond Green being about as close as you could be without um, you know, getting a technical called. And Dylan says, says, I was waiting for that in Denver, you know. They should have done that with me and, you, and Joker, but they want to come and give both tees. And refs, they talk. They know. I get the short end of the stick, but when I get to eight to ten years, I hope I get the same respect as Draymond, they're saying. I have friendly conversations with the refs, even though I get intense. I try to talk a little lower and give them their props because the game is so fast and the game is so physical. It's hard for those guys to get up and down, especially some of them. They old. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. It's so good, and it's just uh, for how frustrating Dylan can be. To me, he he really does. I mean, he has his he's onto yeah. something here. Like he, there is some some quality of we control. Like we are in charge of how we respond, and yeah. everybody else right now is doing their best to put us down, and we get to choose how we respond to it. And that's yeah. that's what you need. And I think that should. He's showing right now what we've heard from different players about how Dylan is kind of the heartbeat. And yeah. right now it is absolutely what the Grizzlies need. So, yeah. And and I think, you know, it's funny cause I was a little, I was getting, I was like as, as high on Dylan as I was after the Warriors game. And I thought, because I thought, you know, he, he basically was, I just, he did a really good job. I mean, he was eviscerated. Like you said, I Draymond, I feel like he came away with the best, like, isolated the one thing that Draymond said that was super hypocritical, which was about his teammates, um, which is huge. But, you know, I even I, – I got frustrated a little bit yesterday because Dylan was talking about Luca and Kyrie not wanting to play against him. Oh, I, was yeah. going, I was like, Dylan, like even if they don't play tonight, we're going to have to see them in two days. And like I was getting a little – I was just kind of like he had his high moment and now he can't control it. But, I, but you know, the, the positive and I think what you're saying, I think there, there's a way – a positive spin to it where I do think he realizes there's a vacuum right now of positivity and sort of uh, leadership. And, you know, I mean, they talk about, I mean, I, I always crack up when people like uh, Jenkins are saying swag and stuff, but I do feel like there's this sense of trying to get this momentum back. And I think, and I think if I, if I'm going to give Dylan the benefit of the doubt is that he is trying to do that, be that kind of leader in just sort of the confidence momentum department, uh, for us and and you know and I think it's 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 doing really well and I think you know these last two wins have shown that. Yeah and I mean leadership yes to me it's even deeper it's it's the joy that they've been playing yeah. with and it's it's a return to that when and the, the Grizzlies are at their most joyful playing when they are talking 
And I have to come to grips with that myself because that's just kind of who this right. team is and whether I, I would prefer it not be that way at times. But the he, he saw that, I mean, and, and to get to joy, you do have to have, you know, some fundamental building blocks like leadership, confidence, and actual, you know, actually playing well. Like it's important that Dylan made winning plays in this game mm-hmm. instead of just talking. And so, yeah, I mean, it was, it was joy overall, I would say at that game. And um, even you move on to the, to the Mavericks game too. And I mean, David Roddy, has he officially arrived to craft? Well, that is for sure. The David Roddy game will always be known as the David Roddy game. Um, You know, that's the hope. I mean, he definitely, you know, he struggled in the Lakers game and he struggled in the, um, in, in the, um, uh, sorry, in the, in the Warriors. Yeah. Well, yeah, he struggled some, but even the Warriors game, he was, I mean, we've, we're, we're down on Zaire, but like, but Roddy also looked a little overmatched in the Warriors game. But again, that's part of this where that might just not be a good Warriors might not be the kind of team he needs to play against a good matchup. But I was very excited about uh, seeing him in this game, and and really the craziness of like scoring scoring seventeen points in a quarter for anybody. I mean, that's like an awesome Ja Morant quarter scoring seventeen for him for a rookie to do that in the fourth is crazy um, and and super exciting. And obviously, this is the the upside that that our front office saw when they drafted him. That's what we've been hoping to see. And the question now is, can he take this with him? Because this this sort of reminds me of a couple of those good games that Zaire had last year where he really rode that momentum. And and that's what I'm hoping because we do need uh, Roddy. I mean, if, if Roddy could be a four for us to kind of give us what, you know, in a totally different way, kind of what Clark gave us. I mean, that is sort of what we're looking for. Um, because like last night, for instance, Aldama just didn't have it from the three-point line. Like he, he had a lot of really good looks that he was missing. And, and so we need somebody else to play that position. And, um, and so, and Roddy came in and filled it. And, and I think I do love that he's starting to get a lot of these hustle plays, like extra rebounds, get on the floor. Uh, those are the things we really need to see from him because he's so big. He's going to get a lot of that stuff. Um, and I loved his repost on the out of bounds play. I just feel like that's the kind of stuff we can really do when teams go small on us, he could be a great person to have play four for us. And so that's an issue, you know, that the Jaron Roddy Brooks, Bain, you know, Tyus, maybe jaw when he comes back. I mean, that is a very interesting, super small ball lineup. Yeah. And I loved his defensive play just out at the very top point of attack, just got a steal, took it, took it the other way. And, um, hitting threes, getting offensive rebounds, putting them back up, and all in the flow of the offense, too, which was exciting. Yeah. And on a night when you ha- you went had a 9-for-20 from Dylan, Jaron, and Ty, excuse me, 9-for-30 uh, combined from Dylan, Jaron, and Tyus, um, yeah. you needed, you needed some, especially against a team like Dallas, who is missing, I mean, you look at usage rate, and I mean, over 50% of their offense right. comes from two guys, and it's it's a must win. Like, that would have been an absolutely terrible loss, and we had a rookie. Without Kyrie and Luca, Who came and yeah. bailed us out, and we're, 
about to look at the games very briefly ahead, but you're going to see this team again. And I, I think, and this time it's in Dallas. And you, at this point of the season, as shorthanded as we are, we have to take advantage of every home opportunity that we have. And I thought that the crowd was a very important part of the last two games. Um, just willing these guys. Yeah. And you also see on the other side, like what we saw, I think what you saw in LA, which is when you don't have your normal guys that do all the, that, that carry those clutch minutes, it gets a little harder. (laughs) You don't, we don't, when, you know, especially for a team. And I think the Mavs are even stronger than us. And just that like, nobody, I mean, Luca and Kyrie would have been the only ones touching the ball. And then guys, getting, you know, hitting a three, you know, shooting a three that from a pass with two seconds left on a shot clock. But, um, so definitely they were, they were not used to that. Um, uh, but, but that was, you know, uh, super exciting. And I do think, you know, it's interesting cause I think DeAnthony Melton and Roddy are always going to be related, but honestly, you know, Roddy is, and again, nowhere near where Kyle Anderson is. So <laughs> stay away from me, Kyle Anderson fans. Don't get mad at me, but that is the, you know, that is, what Kyle Anderson was is what they're hoping Roddy is going to be in two or three years, but just obviously can much more offensive, much more, uh, uh, as far as being able to put the ball in the basket himself and, uh, you know, and hopefully gets as good defensively as Kyle, his instincts and stuff like that. We've seen flashes of that as well. Um, yeah, the other thing, just kind of looking at these games, I mean, that I know is just, uh, you know, the, the, the hard part and the silver lining of all these injuries is, it's allowing Jaron to, to kind of figure out what it means to be an offensive focal point. And, you know, the worst, I think, is the Lakers game where he dominated the first half and then only got one shot attempt in the third quarter. And I do think a lot of people tend to blame Jenkins for that. I, I blame I blame Jaron. I think Jaron needs to learn when if – if I'm hot and I feel good, you know, going and getting the ball in, in the right places. I think he also um, – we're seeing – you know, for him to be truly what we need him to be, you know, and this is still probably a year or two away, is being able to pass out of double teams because, you know, and by the way, how amazing is it that Jaron is getting double teams now? I mean, that's something I think even last year we would have loved to see people having to double team Jaron. Uh, but that's definitely, you know, just, but I think continue to see that. And I think you see uh, like games like the Warriors when he really learned, when he really aggressively goes after, um, you know, the, the, uh, the mismatches, you know, finds his places, um, <clears throat> shoots the three confidently, but then also isn't willing, you know, is very willing to take it to the basket, um, and get free throws. I feel like he did that. It was one thing that I loved about the Mavs game yesterday is I think there was a period of time where we were really struggling and like three straight times he took it. Um, and he was like one for 10, but he took it to the basket strong and got fouled, you know, and he ended up going four for six from the line, which frustrated me. But uh, I think split a couple, but like just kind of got points on the board, got things. And that sort of that felt like more all star type um, behavior because we know his defense is incredible. We're not worried about that. Um, so that's that's another thing that I'm just looking and hoping continues. Um, and then I love the Bane hit a three last night in a clutch situation. Uh, we've talked about it for a while. We're very nervous about Bane and his toe because he's been a clutch player in the past. I just think he fades as games wear on both from, I think having to take on a bigger playmaking load, but then obviously the toe. And so it was just nice to see him uh, because he's missed some open threes, um, you know, in those Lakers Clippers games and some big time moments, but he made one against, uh, against the Mavs. And that was good to see. Yeah. As they say regarding, or 
just back to your Jaren point, necessity is the mother of invention. Like we need mm-hmm. Jaren. And this is he's responding. And it's if you think back through his career, you have a lot of games lost due to injury. But then when he was on the floor, he was playing in his year one with Mike Conley and that the old version of the Grizzlies. And then since then he's played with John Morant. And Jaron's gotten the luxury of playing a role. Now he's played that role as elite as you can this season, given, you know, look at the all-star nod that he got just from his, basically just his defense. But now we need his offense and he's responding. And so I think that's been huge. Um, And I had two other notes to make in my three reasons to be encouraged besides the John Morant All-NBA thing that I mentioned earlier. Since the all-star break, the Grizzlies are 14th in free throw shooting. 79.2%. That's encouraging. Now, part of it probably has to do with Steven Adams not taking a portion (laughs) of those free throws. Yes, that's fair. That's a fair counter. But you don't just jump up to 80% from 70% because of one player. And I think everybody has contributed to this. Um, So that's, that's encouraging because teams need to hit free throws in the playoffs to win games as, as things slow down. Um, and then the, the third thing, I don't know, so this is kind of a roundabout encouragement, but the Grizzlies' record as a, a Vegas underdog last season, 17-13. and 13. Like, that's crazy to have a winning record as an underdog over the course of a season. This season so far, we have only been an underdog in 14 games um, out of the 60-something that we've played. And we are two and twelve in those games. Looking ahead, and I keep in mind, most of those were on the road against teams that were um, had a a better record or about the same record as us at the time. If you look ahead, we're probably going to run into more games like the Warriors game the other night, where we are at home and we are underdogs. And it's in those moments, as you you know, we had probably. It was definitely over half of the underdog wins last season came without John Morant, which I think is important. Like there's there's something about this team where when they lose Ja, particularly because he's kind of been the one superstar on the team, when they lose him, everybody bands together and starts to play better. It just happens. And I think you're gonna see that record, the two and twelve as an underdog, only increase on the win side as we move forward, because there is something that I've seen in the last two games. I can't put my finger on it, but people have like players have contributed in more ways than they have been this whole season. It's felt um, in these, in these games when they've had to. And so I I just have, um, I'm hopeful about that moving ahead because we've shown last season as an underdog, how we performed without jaw. And I I'm hoping that that translates moving ahead. So, um, should we briefly touch on the games we have uh, upcoming? Yeah. Um, the next four we have uh, Monday night, six thirty p.m. at Dallas. Wednesday, uh, six thirty p.m. at Miami. Friday, seven p.m. at San Antonio. So a three-game road trip, and then Saturday we're back in FedEx Forum. That's a back-to-back, seven p.m. Um, so uh, looking ahead, what what are you kind of looking for within these next four games? Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, you know, the biggest one is that 
in between the Heat and the Spurs game is when I would assume we get some kind of update on Jaw. Yep. Good call. Um, and so, so that'll be the so that'll be one thing to see if like if it's okay now and he's so the four games are up so now it's been six games total and we're you know he's still out indefinitely or we're now saying he's not going to be back for at least these couple games. Um, so we'll see. Um, so that's that's one of the big things. Um, I think that I mean I think that four game was for a reason and we didn't get into that talking about it earlier. So I mean it's so I wouldn't you know I think everybody's just assuming oh well it's going to be extended some and and yes maybe but I will say why did they say four? Why didn't they say five or six? You know and and I do think that if you're going to come back uh, <laughs> coming back to where you're not you know like you're not going to come back at L.A where every major NBA media person is. You might come back at a San Antonio where you're not even dealing with Memphis media. Um, um, although although I'll be interested to see if uh, how many Memphis people book plane flights. But uh, so I think that is, you know, could be a strategic time for at least Jaw to re- maybe not play, but come back with the team or something. I don't know. So we'll, we'll see how that works. Uh, but, you know, what I'm thinking is, you know, at Mavs, at Heat, um, at Spurs, uh, I think we have you got to go one and two. I think you come out extremely pumped if you can go two and one. If you can catch um, either the Mavs or the Heat, um, both of them, I think you know. Despite uh, I think we've seen enough now uh, with teams playing without players, with players. Like I think if Kyrie and Luca are back, I do think we're going to play much better Monday. That might not translate to a win, but much better than we did last night. Uh, against the Mavs because I just think it's hard to get up. I mean, we just played the Warriors um, and how and like we already talked about the playoff intensity of that game. It's just hard to get back up for a, a team that you know is missing its two best players. So I do think we're going to have a better effort against the Mavs. I just you know who knows. Um, but then you know we can catch the Heat. We've beaten the Heat before. We seem to be weirdly now um, a good matchup with them. We we we. We, for some reason, tend to play pretty well against the Heat. So I don't know. Um, and they're super up. And I mean, they're as, as inconsistent as anybody. Um, and then, uh, and so and then I think we should hopefully really target that Spurs game. Uh, you know, the Warriors game is interesting. I'm excited about going. I think we do bring the edge. I do think there's going to be a temptation. We've played every other night for like two weeks now. This is the second night of a back-to-back. It's at home. And it's the Warriors but I feel like there's going to be a temptation to rest some people. But I, so I don't know. Um, I don't know if we'll choose to rest people elsewhere. We'll probably, you probably are going to have to like basically handcuff players to seats to get them to not play against the Warriors. So that we probably won't, but, um, but I would assume, so, you know, the hope would be two and two. I think I would, I would love if we could go three and one. Um, and I think really trying to grab, you know, Make sure you don't uh, go one and three. You know, the hope that you pick up two games here. One and three might be possible. I don't know. Um, You know, the good news is we're really just, I think, at this point, battling out the Kings uh, that uh, the Clippers, who are at five, have fallen enough to where I feel like the rest of the season is just battling it out for the two seed. We'll see with the Suns. I just feel like they're going to have a hard time catching up to us without Kevin Durant. Uh, for the rest of the season, so Nuggets have quietly lost two straight as well. I, yeah. I don't think we have enough runway to catch them, like you said. No, which it's, is it's it's frustrating. We just we lost too many we lost too many dumb games early for the Nuggets, unfortunately. 
And I think you're going to see right now, I mean, if you if the playoffs started today, it'd be 3-6 Grizzlies-Warriors. So um, I, think, I think people need to start, you know, maybe even rooting for that. Like, I, I personally would love to have the Warriors in round one and just... As as it's been said elsewhere, slay the giant. Like just do it. Um, it's it would be poetic for that to happen this this postseason. Um, I think when I look at this slate of games, you have four four extremely different challenges. You have Dallas, who's sixth in offense, twenty third in defense. Then two nights later, you have Miami, who's twenty sixth in offense, seventh in defense. So those teams win entirely different ways. San Antonio's yeah. obviously tanking, but you, they're still an NBA team. You have to go out and take care of business. And then you have the Warriors, who are literally 15th in offense, 16th in defense. They're just as average yeah. as it can get, but you have the extra layer. Yeah. So, yeah, a lot of challenges. Yeah, and and you know, and as you mentioned, the, those Denver Nuggets have lost two in a row. They lost to the San Antonio Spurs, and so that's, that's a reminder – that you got to come out and take them seriously, um, but it's also it's also a good Spurs got themselves a win to feel good about, so now they can keep losing um, as well. But but that's a good, and I think you're right. I mean, I think that's what's so sad for me about the Mavs team is that I mean a the I don't know of a better team to play with a Jaw Stephen Adams pick and roll than. This Mavs team that has zero rim protection, um, like, and that's why, honestly, if if Stephen Adams and Jaw were both back for us in the first round of the playoffs, I would very much welcome a Mavs uh, series, even though they've been a weird matchup for us. And you always get nervous about Luca. I just, we would just score seventy, eighty rim uh, paint points every game against them. Um, if we did that, but of course, John Stephen Adams are huge question marks. So, um, so I think I might be more like you and want a Warriors over a Mavs, but we'll see. But all that said, is I do think that you know we're watching the Kings. I think the two seed is uh, because of our schedule difference. We do actually have a much more favorable schedule. Um, I you know at some point I don't know. I mean maybe the Kings are just never going to have any injury issues. It's unbelievable uh, how healthy they've been this year, which is one of the reasons why they're. You know, battling out for the two seed with us, um, they've and they can't seem to lose a, cu- a clutch game at all. Like no. they are, they are finding ways to win, which is impressive. Which is, but you know, it's an yeah, it's anomalous. Which is funny because like the 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 like you know the, the NBA scout in me says, man, they're just like they're it's a magical year. They're clutch this year, but then the analytics guy says, so they're just going to save all those coin toss losses for the playoffs. You yeah. know, so who knows. Um, hey, I'd love to get a second round matchup with them, you know, because then we'd have won our first round and I think then we'd be much healthier, but we'll play that. But I still, you know, hope I'm still hoping for the two seed. I think, you know, because of our closing schedule, I think it's still very much in play, but I think this is one of those weeks where we go two and two or three and one when people are expecting one and three, uh, you know, that could go a long way towards getting that two seed for sure. 16 games left. The season ends less than a month from today um, it ends on april 9th and so we are truly in the stretch run we will be with you the rest of the way uh this has been a, a a big episode we ran longer than we usually do but there's a lot going on um and we also wanted to reserve the time to actually talk about basketball so yeah we want to talk about basketball so thanks for joining us um we will be back with another episode soon um 
for Craft. I'm Will. Thanks for joining us. We will talk to you next weekend.